Would you like to see the behind the scenes footage of the Pivot Me interviews? We have launched April Garcia Pivot Me on YouTube. Take 10 seconds now and go to YouTube and enter April Garcia Pivot Me or enter it directly at youtube.com backslash April Garcia Pivot Me. You can see all the guest interview with Jay Abraham, Sharon Lecter, Cameron Harold, John Lee Dumas. We are releasing new videos every Tuesday. Go ahead and stream with us. Hop on and join us. And please support us by giving that thumbs up and subscribing. It really does matter. And you are going to love these videos. Thanks for joining Pivot Me on YouTube. Welcome to Pivot Me, where we give business tips and mental hacks so you can move past your biggest obstacles and live the life you've earned. And now your host, business advisor and performance expert, April Garcia. For years, I made large companies larger and rich people richer. Now I coach driven entrepreneurs to hack success, create more time and get better results through high performance habits, the multiply me method, and a little mental gymnastics. On Pivot Me, I talk to thought leaders and experts sharing our successes, our many scrubs, and how we can all use both to move us to the next level. Join us and learn real, simple steps to pivot you and your business towards the life you've earned. Is this going to strengthen me or weaken me? What a powerful question to ask before you're about to do something, to do anything to ask that question. And this is just one of the many gems our guest today is going to share. Today, we're sitting down with Yuri L. Kane, the New York Times bestselling author and renowned fitness nutrition expert. He's written the all-day energy diet, the all-day fat-burning diet, and most recently, Mind Floss. Mastering your mind, mastering your life. Yuri has helped more than a half a million people achieve amazing health and fitness. And a partial catalyst to this was when he was 17 years old, he developed an autoimmune condition, which resulted in him losing all of his hair. He played professional soccer and he's going to share this amazing, great story about Brazilian soccer players, their rise to greatness. What's the key to that? Spoiler alert, massive leverage. He's going to talk about that. Yuri is now the CEO of Healthpreneur, a training and consulting company that helps health professionals and coaches build virtual businesses. Today, we get into Yuri's thoughts on identity, leveraging it for change, the through line for clients that have been very successful in their health and business goals, and his thoughts on the body positivity movement. Let's jump in. I am so excited to welcome you to the podcast today, Yuri. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, April. Great to be here. Absolutely. So obviously we've just read your bio, impressive. There's so many things that you've done, but I'd like us to start with what got you into this type of work to begin with. Yeah. So as you can tell, I don't have any hair. I was blessed. I I say blessed to have lost it at 17 to an autoimmune condition. That's really what propelled me into the world of health. And then from the age of 10, so kind of backtracking from there, I had the dream of playing professional soccer. So like for the next 10 years of my life from 10 to 20, all I was obsessed with was soccer, soccer, soccer. So I was very fit, but I wasn't healthy. And I didn't realize that until I lost my hair. So the combination of like being very active and fit and then having to learn more about health got me into the world of health, went to school for that, for kinesiology and nutritional sciences. And long story short, played professional soccer for a number of years in the process, but it was really like my karma, my dharma, whatever you want to call it. The journey that I went on to figure out what was happening here in terms of my hair loss led me on this journey to eventually helping other people with like weight loss and energy. Ironically, I didn't help anyone with hair loss. That wasn't my passion, weirdly enough. And I did that for a number of years. Like I was doing a lot of the one-on-one, you know, 10 to 14 hours a day, grinding away, underpaid, overworked. And then 2005, I was like, this has got to stop. And I was working with a coach at the time who suggested that I set up a website. I was like, sure. What's that? I, I, I didn't even know what it was. So we set it up, had no clue what I was doing for the first three and a half years of my business, made poverty line income for three years. And, and during that process, I was chipping away and, and eventually stopped training all of my clients in person. So my income went from, I was doing decent, but still grinding away to like nothing. And I was too stubborn to get out of my own way. And then eventually I hired a coach, got some mentorship and everything took off and built a great business. And then a number of years later, sold it, 
and we can talk about this maybe a little bit. I got to a point I was like, I've had it with this. So during that process, a lot of people in our space who are health professionals growing their businesses came to me asking for advice on business and marketing. And because of it, like I had to figure that stuff out. I just became very good at it. And that became the seed for my current company, Healthpreneur, that we've had running now for six years. And essentially what we do is help health professionals grow their businesses online without the grind. Because I think there's just smarter ways of doing things. And I made a lot of the mistakes. So that's kind of like the condensed version of my story. I want to go back to something that you said earlier that really struck me. So I was very fit, but I wasn't healthy. Talk to us about what that is. Because as soon as you said that, I thought, oh, a lot of people are going to resonate with that. Can you expand on that? Sure. So when I was playing soccer professionally, I was playing in France. And I remember like I'd go to the bakery in the morning. I'd grab a croissant, a baguette every single day, like every single day. That was what I thought was normal. So I had zero clue. Like I'm talking like when I'm 24 years old, zero clue. And that was 24 years of my life. Like just that type of eating. You know, I remember in high school, running home, racing my brother for the last hot dog in the fridge or grilled cheese was a daily staple. I had more tuna growing up than I think a human body is allowed to take in mercury. So like there was just, just nonstop. So I was super active and playing soccer and training all the time. But on the flip side, I was eating all this nonsense. I mean, I remember even when I was playing at the University of Toronto, I remember my first year, I'd go to McDonald's before a game. Now I'm thinking like, what planet was I living on? But the thing is like, when you're young, you can get away with all that stuff until you can't. And thankfully for me, it just happened to kick me in the head pretty early on. And for actually the more important thing for me was I was exhausted most of the time. I thought it was because I was so active. So I was sleeping between naps and like bedtime 12 hours a day. So 50% of my life was spent sleeping. And I'm like, I thought it was normal. And then I realized later on, as I studied nutrition and cleaned things up, I was like, oh, you're not supposed to sleep half your life. You can actually perform and think and, and feel great six hours a night. And it changed my life. Like regardless, like I grew my hair back and then now I don't have any hair because I had a shot a number of years ago, whatever. But in the process, like I, I was like, it changed my life. I was like, I can't believe that I spent 20 some odd years of my life feeling exhausted all the time. And that's the way I think a lot of people live is they don't understand how good you can feel until you've experienced it. And then it's like, whoa. So that's kind of where my mission started was helping others with their you know, fatigue and energy because it's, it's the foundation of everything. And the hair loss at 17, that's the catalyst for this? Like, is this what made you kind of go, okay, what's contributing to this or just take a better look at your health? Yeah, I mean, like pretty much, but it took me about eight years. Like I, I went to every single doctor possible, like the, the allopathic route, the natural route had like a traditional Chinese medicine doctor. And I had this like tree bark concoction tea that I had a drink and all these different lotions and nothing helped. So I went to the University of Toronto for kinesiology, almost did a minor in nutritional sciences, but then I stopped because I was like, this stuff is ridiculous. It's not even useful. And I had no clue about nutrition, even when I graduated with a degree in kinesiology. And it wasn't only until I went back to school for holistic nutrition, which is more of a less allopathic approach to nutrition. The first day of that school, I was blown away. I was like, hold on, hold on. In one hour, I was just floored. I'm like, how have I not learned this before? And when I started to realize, like, can't run away from that forever. So it kind of just caught up with me. And I, I learned uh, this is probably going on. Let's clean it up. And everything turned around when, when that happened. What's the biggest change you noticed? So as we talked about energy, is it energy? Is there something else that you're like, man, I made these changes. And then this is what really stood out for me. The th energy was like, it was instantaneous. Like it was within two, three days. I was like a new person. And when I say like people might be saying, okay, well, what did you do? I mean, if you want to read my book, the all day energy diet, I basically map it out. It was essentially eating more plant-based foods, more of them in the raw state and just alkalizing my body. So I don't need to go into the whole science there, but basically eating more fruits and vegetables, predominantly more greens, but not being vegan, not being like, you know, crazy like that. Not that that's crazy, but for me at the time, it didn't make sense. And it was like instantaneous. And that's the cool thing about the body is it's so resilient and you could be in the worst shape. You could have like, like just bad health. You could be overweight. And no matter what you do, the first thing you're going to experience after the first one or two days, or maybe a couple of days of feeling crappy, because you're starting to kind of change things. The first symptom is going to be more energy like across the board. I mean, I used to say how you heal anything is how you heal everything. So whether you're looking to lose weight, prevent a disease, you know, improve your skin, whatever it is, 
the approach a lot of times is very similar. And the evolution of your health improvements usually start, you feel crappy because you're changing things. And then fairly quickly, you feel a lot better. And then if it's weight loss, that, you know, that follows down the road. I love this. So I'm thinking about a pivoter that's listening right now and they're scaling their business. They've got a family. They've got a lot of plate spinning, right? I'm going to kind of put you on a fork here. So it's a Wednesday afternoon and they've got to make a choice of, I'm going to go get a healthy lunch or I'm going to go to the gym. Do you have a preference that you're like, this is the thing that's really going to matter? The food choice versus exercise? I don't know if you can, it's tough to say one or the other. I think here's the thing with, with exercise, do something you love doing. Like it doesn't have to be going to the gym. It could be going for a walk. You know, I think walking is like breathing. It should just happen. Like I don't consider walking a workout unless it's beyond your normal baseline and you're getting some type of sweat or whatever going on. You know, there's a common saying, like you, you can't out train a bad diet. And I think that's very true. If you can get away with it up until the 30 something, and then your body's like, dude, no way. Like yeah. we're going <laughs> to, there's going to be some metabolic issues because of the nonsense here. So like my take on this is, you know, if you're having to make decisions around this kind of stuff during the day, you've already lost the battle. My whole approach is whatever is most important in your life, you have to do that first thing in the morning. So for me, I've got four kids. So I've got four boys. It's craziness in my house when they're all home. And I'm like, nothing is going to get done if I don't do it first thing in the morning. So for me, I wake up at four typically. And for many years, I would go right to my desk. It was like four o'clock, go right to my desk, you know, I drink some water, do my stuff, get right to work. And I think, I mean, listen, like it depends on the season of life you're in. There's a time to put in the work and focus on something, but you can't do that forever. And a couple of years ago, I was like, hold on, like what's really important here? Do I really have to get in front of my computer at 4.15 in the morning? No. And I'm not here to say like, you know, there's a one size fits all morning routine. For me, it was whatever it was. But I get up at four and the first thing I do is work out and take care of myself. Because I know that later in the day, I'm going to have less desire, less energy to do that. So it's like, okay, if I don't do it now, I'm going to do it later. Really? I've played that game and I don't win, right? So now it's, I work out first thing in the morning. For me, typically it's some type of cardio. So I just jump on my Peloton. I get a sweat on and I do some stretching, like dynamic yoga, whatever. That's for me, the ideal way to start the day. And later in the day is usually if I have the desire to get in a workout, that's when I'll do some heavy lifting. So I'll get in some, you know, lower intensity, heavy weights. That's what works for me. So I bookend my day with movement and exercise. And I try to get a, a walk usually about five kilometers midday, just to break things up at the very minimum. If I don't, I'll do it after I'm finished my work at, you know, two or three in the afternoon. So it's a long winded answer to your question. Yeah. Hopefully it makes sense. No, it does. And I'm just thinking, so obviously pivoters are busy, right? I'm thinking about the time commitment in this. So I'm thinking Peloton workout in the morning, weights possibly later, 5k walk as well. Like, how are you integrating this? Is this just, well, it's baked into my schedule and it's immovable. Is it sometimes I take my boys with me on that long walk? Like I want to take us out of like, what practically do you have to put in place to make this happen? I'm at a stage of my life now where I shouldn't be working 16 hours a day. Right. So that's, that's the first thing I can get everything I need to get done in four. Right. So I'm like, I've got a team, we have processes, you know, we're in a good place. And the thing is I can't perform at my best if I'm mentally not sharp and I'm mentally sharpest when I'm oxygenating my body. So that for me, like, that's why I don't lift first thing in the morning because I feel my best when the endorphins are going, which is why I do some type of, you know, huff and puff, not crazy, but a huff and puff type of thing in the morning. For me, it's about an hour. So between I'll, do, I'll get a 30 minute ride in and then I'll do some stretching. I'll do some, you know, meditation, visualization, shower. It's about an hour, an hour and 15. And listen, like you don't have to do what I'm doing. Like, you know, for anyone watching or listening to this, you have to find what's going to work for you. But I think you have to make time for it because if you can sit down at the end of the day and watch two hours of television, that's a decision. You could have been doing something else. You could have been outside walking. You could have been lifting. You could have been whatever. And I think we have to be very honest with ourselves to say like, what's really important in my life? And it's, if you just want to lay on the couch at the end of the day, because you're tired, I get it. I, I have those days as well, but I feel a lot better about myself if I do that, knowing that I woke up and got my most important stuff done. So it's really, you know, for people that are super busy, the easiest solution is just get up a bit earlier. That, I mean, it's gotta be in the morning. I've got four kids. 
It's not easy, but I do it. What's key is, and I love that you said that if you've got kids, you got to get up before your kids. And that that's to. the hard part, right? Like if you're listening right now and you have children, even if your children, even if your child is an early morning waker, you've got to get up before them because the second they're up, oftentimes we're just responding to their needs, their desires. Like we're meeting all these other competing priorities that are important, but it's easy for us to go on the back burner. So if you've got kids, you've got to get up before them and take care of the most important things first. You got to take care of yourself first, especially for the moms out there. Oh my God, please. Like my wife, I mean, I love her, but she gets out of bed when our little one gets out of bed and that's how her day starts. I don't know how she does it. I mean, I go crazy. Everyone's different, but I think if you're someone, if you're obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you're watching it, you're someone who is achievement oriented, you want to do things in the world and you can have it all. Like you can have it all. I mean, I think I have a good relationship with my family. I spend a lot of time with them. I'm in better health now than I was, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, you know, and we're doing a lot of great stuff with our business. And I still think I could do a better job at protecting my time. There's definitely some wastage during my day, you know, we'll put it that way in terms of how I use my time sometimes. So it can obviously always be better, but it's amazing what you can do with small improvements and making little decisions like going for a walk, getting your brain going with exercise. You just, you'll just be so much more productive as a human. Yeah. And you know, I love when you said, Hey, if there's time for two hours of Netflix at the end of the day, then there was time to work out. Now, a lot of times people hear that and go, well, yeah, but I just don't have the energy at the end of the day. And it goes back to his original point. That's right. That's why you don't do the workout at the end of the day. So maybe it's Netflix for an hour at the end of the day, but at the beginning of your day now goes an hour workout or a walk or something that's pouring into you, like these examples that we've gone over, but they've got to be at the beginning of the day. Decision fatigue is a very real thing. And we know like we're like, oh, we're going to get that spinning class at 7 p.m. Mm, probably not. There are a few unicorns out there that actually do spinning at 7, but most don't. And so putting in at the beginning of your day makes a huge difference. You know, something we talk about on Pivot Me a lot is that when we get together in social situations, usually people talk about one of two things, how busy they are and how tired they are. And if you just step back, I mean, go to a barbecue and step back. And, and we're not doing this from a place of judgment. It's a place of curiosity, conversations are focused around one of those two things. It's socially acceptable to talk about that. It's actually not as acceptable to say, well, I actually got a ton of energy. Man, I'm on freaking fire. People kind of look at you funny at a barbecue, depending on where you're at. We get to change that narrative, but there is a lot of choice in there. Don't just accept the fact that I'm going to be tired at the end of the day. Don't just accept the fact that I'm going to be exhausted all the time because I have kids, because I run a business, because all these things, just because that's a really common narrative out there, if we buy that, it takes away our power to change that. Everything you're talking about here are choices that we're making to give us the more energy, give us more clarity, make it so we can deliver in the marketplace better and be more present with our family because we've got the energy to do it. Yeah. And listen, like I'm not perfect. There's been moments in my time, with, especially with kids, where all I want to do at the end of the day is have a glass of wine with my wife. And we've done that, right? And this, it's, it oscillates, right? Like you know, sometimes you want to have a glass for me, it's a glass, not a bottle, but I know like, I don't feel the best. I don't feel great the next day. And so I'm always trying to remind myself, I'm trying to be mindful, like in, in a choice when it comes to food specifically, is this going to strengthen me or weaken me? I think all of us can learn about how our body responds to food. It's really powerful because if you have a glass of wine at night and you realize the next day that you feel like shit, start to make that correlation because is it worth it? And then going backwards, okay, why did I have a glass of wine? Because I was anxious, angry, exhausted. So you have to unravel the whole thing and get to the root cause because the wine or whatever other you know stuff we're using is not the solution. They are cover-ups. They're band-aids that are trying to mask the bigger issue. Unless we address the bigger issue, we're going to lead a pretty miserable existence. Like we might look successful on the outside or we might like everyone thinks things are well, but you know, when you look in the mirror, like what the answer is, right? Yeah. I think that's a really good point. I'm so glad you brought it up is that's usually a symptom of something else and like, like pull on that thread and understand, well, why is it that I want to drink a glass of wine at the end of the night? And again, we're not shaming anyone for doing that. There's nothing wrong with that. But like, if this becomes your habit, okay, well, why is it? Is it because you're anxious? Is it because you're trying to celebrate something? Is it because you're having a hard time relaxing? Understand 
what that is? And then does this thing serve you? I also love when you said, is this going to strengthen or weaken me? It reminds me of a story, a book I read recently that was talking about making this rowing team better. And they were really far behind. And everyone's like, well, how are we going to put them at the top of the list? Like this rowing team was just not doing well. And what the coach said is, you just have to ask this question before every decision you make. So he, he created a decision filter. Will this make the boat go faster? So if you're invited to a party the night before the race, will this make the boat go faster? If you're going to drink a bottle of wine, will this make the boat go faster? If you're going to eat fast food for dinner, will this make the boat go faster? And I love that idea. It really applies to what you're saying. This is a decision filter. And just be clear, this isn't to shame you. It's just a decision filter of like, and you might go, no, it's not going to make the boat go faster. I just want to eat McDonald's. That's cool. But it's, it's making it a decision. Correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like a lot of what we're doing is we're not making a decision. We're just kind of unconsciously going about our day or doing what everybody else is doing and not thinking about, will this make me fitter? No, it's true. It's, it's like you, we get into a pattern of autopilot. I've noticed this to myself very much so. So I'll go for, I might have like three, three hours of calls between clients, team, podcast, whatever. And if I don't catch myself, I'll go right from that three hours into other work. And it's just like, dude, like chill for a second. And so what I do my best, and I, again, like not all the time, but um, I have to really consciously remind myself, Hey, go meditate for five minutes, just go breathe and break it up. Because what happens, and I would consider myself a pretty kinesthetic person. So I tap into my body and I understand what's happening and I can feel the adrenaline going. Like it's just like next, next, next. When you sit down or lay down and meditate and meditate is just like, just be present, breathe, whatever. It could be five, 10 minutes. You'll notice that your body just calms down dramatically. Like your breathing is going to slow. It's going to deepen. And when you get out of that, it literally breaks the pattern of the frantic adrenaline, go, go, go into, oh, stop, reassess. What's my intention for the next block of time? And it just completely severs that cycle. And it may not seem like a big deal, but the thing is, when you look at the major health issues of high achievers, it's all, and I would, when I say these, I would consider myself, you know, the A-type personality, which is like, go, go, go. That is a very sympathetic, i.e. adrenaline-based physiology. You can't sustain that forever. It's like revving your car at 8,000 RPMs indefinitely. It's a recipe for disaster. And I think I'm blessed that, I, you know, this happened to me when I was very, very young, happened for me, I should say. I still have to catch myself though, because my tendency is just to keep going, going, going. And I think there's, that's a great superpower, but all of our superpowers have on the other side of that coin, an inherent kryptonite. And we have to be aware of that because if we're not, it's going to catch up with us at some points, you know, now or in the future. I know someone's listening right now and they're going, oh, but I have been revving my engine that fast. So the second you're like, you can't go on like that forever. Someone's going, but I have. Tell us what happens if you do. Like if you just keep going at that pace, like what does the future hold? So when I started to explore energy, like in terms of like how we feel, the thing I realized is a low energy is a warning sign that something far more dangerous is brewing inside your body. And for me, it took 17 years for it to erupt in the form of alopecia or losing my hair. So the interesting thing about the body is everyone's different. Everyone has a different resilience. Everyone has a different capacity to take on stress and whatever. But at some point, and I don't know if it's going to be 40, 45, 60, whatever, at some point, your body is going to be like, we're done. And major issues are going to happen. And I don't know what those major issues are. They can manifest in all sorts of different ways. But this is the human condition is, ah, I'll deal with it then. I'm okay for now. And that this is the fundamental problem that all of us humans have to deal with is we don't do anything until shit hits the fan. That's very, very hard in any aspect of life to lead a life of prevention, especially when you're not viscerally associated to the consequences of not doing so. So it's like smoking will kill you, right? Yet every part of the world outside of North America smokes like a friggin' chimney. They have the warnings on the friggin' box. Really big warnings. Yeah. Yeah. And they still do it. And that's just the way we are. So I think, to be honest, one of the best things that can happen, this might come across the wrong way. I had two 
friends, not super close, but close enough that passed away during the pandemic. And it was a big wake up call and a reminder that the reason they passed away was not because of COVID. It was because they were 50 pounds overweight. They smoked cigars every day and they drank. This is what happens, right? When you don't take care of yourself, stuff like this, it kind of like puts you over the edge. So I, I think like being associated or, or reminding yourself or knowing people that have like had things happen to them, like and not in the best way as a reminder to take care of yourself, because as resilient as we are at some point, the body breaks. And we don't always get that wake up call on our own. I think it's with a heart attack. The first heart attack is the warning sign, but most people never survive their first heart attack. Exactly. They don't actually know there's something wrong, that there's some kind of blockage. The problem is most of us don't survive the first one. And what I'm thinking of, what I'm imagining is, is how do we create that situation where we don't have to wait for a medical condition, a heart attack? We don't have to wait for something like that to occur. Like, how do we get that clarity of like, look, this is what's at stake? Because the truth is when we're comfortable and even when we're enjoying some rewards, we don't tend to take action on something that it's like, well, that might cause me pain way down the road. How do we like get leverage on ourselves to take action now? Two things. Number one, you have to be mindful of your decisions and consequences of those decisions to understand that, you know, if you have a Coke every day, no big deal, 30 days, big deal, 30 years from now. If you think of one pound per year that you gain, that's not a big deal, but in 30 years, you're potentially obese. That's a major issue that people don't think about is these small little things add up. So I think the first thing is just doing our very best to be mindful of our decisions. But I think there's a fundamental lack of understanding of how our body works. Most people don't understand how food choices affect their health. And that's a fundamental problem that I don't think is ever going to be solved in my lifetime on this planet. And that's really unfortunate. So I think whatever we can do to educate ourselves about our body, about health is only going to help us. And a simple example of this is, I don't know if you've seen any health related documentaries you know, on Netflix or elsewhere, most people feel a little bit more motivated after watching those. Sure. Right. It's like, Hey, I'm going to make a change. Cause of the stories, the stories they see that the examples that they're seeing, they're like, I could have been him. I could have been her. The stories really motivate people. All right. We've got some awesome news today. The YouTube relaunch is here now. Never seen before footage of our actual interviews. You're going to watch the video of me sitting down with Jay Abraham and ask him, what the hell are us entrepreneurs doing wrong? We've got footage of me talking to Cameron Harold and him telling the story of the rave he went to in his 40s. Footage of when John Lee Dumas from Entrepreneurs on Fire told us that we aren't perfectionists. We're cowards. We have it all captured and we are pumped to share it with you today. Go to YouTube and put in April Garcia Pivot Me and join in. See me thank Sharon Lecter in real time for writing the Rich Dad Poor Dad series because the series of books helped guide me when I was 20 into becoming a real estate investor. And listen in when I asked several of our high performing guests the very tough question of, hey, how do you personally self-sabotage. We made this for you. So join in at YouTube and subscribe so you will see when new videos are released. It'll be every Tuesday. You'll actually get notified. So take 10 seconds and do it now. Grab your phone. If you're on a desktop, do it there. Go to YouTube and enter April Garcia Pivot Me or enter the URL directly at youtube.com backslash April Garcia Pivot Me. And please support us by giving us that thumbs up and subscribing. We recently became partners with YouTube and that really matters. You're going to love these videos. So this goes to my second point is really just guard your inputs. If you have to watch a health-related documentary or listen to a health-related podcast every single day, to be reminded of that, then do it. Because you have to fundamentally change your thoughts, your nervous system. And I think a big piece of this too is like, I think the easiest way to lasting change is you have to shift your self-identity, right? We can talk about building habits all day long, but until you change fundamentally how you see yourself in the world, those changes are going to be temporary at best. So as an example, for I'd say 10 years I was trying to wake up early. You know, I read the books. I'm like, oh, I'm pumped. I'm going to do it. Tomorrow I'd wake up at five. And then I'd just be like, man, whatever. It was up and down. And literally this for 10 years. So there's like, there's this little voice in my head that's always just like berating me for not being perfect with my early mornings. And then I got to a point, and I don't even know when this happened or how it happens, but there was a shift. And the shift was the conversation 
literally in my head was, I am the type of person that gets up before the sun, that gets up before everyone else, because that's what successful people do, right? And it was a conversation along those lines. And the key word is, I'm the type of person. So if you take that into decisions with related to you know health or whatever, I'm the type of person that eats foods that strengthens my body because I want to feel and perform at my best. And you can call that a mantra, a mantra, affirmation, whatever you want, but we have to fundamentally change the way we want to show up in the world. Because if we want to achieve another level of success, we have to change who we are because what got us here is not going to get us there. And that's the beauty of having a business, of being an entrepreneur, is that your business growth is a trailing indicator of your personal growth. You can't grow your business unless you grow yourself personally. And you know, it's just such an amazing journey to go through. So I think number one is being mindful of our decisions, educating ourselves as much as we possibly can about something we want to get better at. If you want to get better at, like, you know, I've wanted to be very understanding of crypto. So I had no clue about crypto for the longest time. And I was very poo-poo about it and very like ignorant about it. And then about a year ago, I said, well, I'm just going to start listening to podcasts and reading books about it. All of a sudden, everything changed for me. And I was like, wow, that's simple to do, right? There's so much information out there. We just have to make a, a commitment to learning of something that's going to be important for us. So I think taking that in is important, kind of guarding our inputs, making sure that we're feeding our brain the right stuff. And then I think fundamentally making a decision about the type of person you want to be and how that person would show up in the world. Yeah, that's powerful. And I love that you spoke about identity because that's the piece that people always overlook. They want like the tactical steps, which is important, but you know, whether you're teaching someone how to be more productive or to eat better, if you identify as, well, I'm a foodie. And so that means X, Y, Z, or well, success looks like 12 hour days. Even if you show someone how to work six hour days, they'll inevitably go back to longer days because they identify as that thing. So I'm so glad you touched on identity. So if someone is listening, I think as entrepreneurs, we get caught, especially the entrepreneurs that are listening to Pivot Me, they're kind of at the stage of success. And they're also in the age range where maybe they're not really feeling the implications of door dashing lunch every day, but we're about to, like maybe we're starting to right now. And I think we get caught in the cycle of, we'll handle it later. Like I'm going to get to just a little bit farther along in my business. I'm going to grow my business a little bit more, grow the team a little bit more. And then I'm going to start worrying about that. But as you mentioned earlier, like there might be some kind of consequence earlier than what we're preparing. I mean, prepared for, we might have some kind of cardiac event. We might have something that happens to us that is like, oh, I thought I had, I, I thought I still had time. I think that's where we get caught a lot as entrepreneurs is we think we still have time. So if someone's listening right now and they're like, all right, I know that I want to eat better, or I know that having more energy would sustain me differently so that at the end of the day, I've got time to play with my kids. I've got time to join. I have a friend that started playing basketball again. And he's like, I had to have the energy to both run my business, have time for my three kids and also play basketball, which is, you know, very cardio intensive sport. What's something that we could say, okay, this is the thing to do. So we talked about early morning. We talked about a morning routine. We talked about being mindful of the decisions you're making. What else could someone do so that they maintain that energy throughout the day and are kind of leaning into this healthier lifestyle? I think very much like with your business, you have to measure what's important. Like imagine like not having metrics in your business that you're tracking, you'd be crazy. How much is a new client worth to you? I don't know. How much are you paying to acquire one? I don't know. It's insane. Like, so we have to look at running our body, our health as if it were a business. So measuring the most important metrics. And, and I mean, there's obviously the whole world of biohacking where you can go crazy detailed with like functional lab tests and stuff like that, which I think is, has its place and is very, very eye-opening. And then there's basic things. Like if you feel like shit, that's probably the best indicator that something inside could be better. There's your metrics right there. Yeah. I don't look at the scale. I don't think the scale is a very good indication of body composition, obviously weight, but muscle weighs more than fat. So I think look at yourself in the mirror, feel how your clothes feel when you put them on. And if you don't feel excited about it, that should be like, all right, I got to do something different. And there's nothing wrong with being quote unquote disgusted. And I use that loosely because that's what's required to make a change. And then the key is being able to sustain that change. So initially we change or we, we make that kind of first one or two steps based on the fact that we're like, this is it. Like the thermostat is like, it's gone off the charts. I'm going to make a change. What happens is we get into it. We lose a bit of weight. We feel better. And then we kick back into our old habits. And this is where the self-identity stuff has to come in to be like, hey, I started here, but now I'm the type of person that just does this. That's who I am. So 
I think we have to identify some very basic measurements on a daily basis. Scale of one to 10, how energized do I feel? 10 is like I can bounce out of bed without the alarm clock. One is I want to crawl under a rock. Just a simple assessment like that on a daily basis. Where do I feel? Where am I? And then look back, okay, yesterday, is there something I ate or did? Did I go to bed late? Did I eat something, you know, whatever that may have contributed to that? And you start making associations very much like you would in business, right? If you're running ads and one ad's performing better than the other, why is it, you know, like this? So I think that's the first step is measuring two basic metrics. Number one is your energy scale of one to 10. And then how do you feel when you look in the mirror? How do you feel when you put on your clothes? And it may not be comfortable and that's okay because we have to be uncomfortable in order to change. I was going to say, let's talk about that for a second because there's a movement that's happening that I see could challenge that a little bit. The body positivity thing, which let me just clarify that I am in no way an expert or have read a lot about this, but I see this kind of tension between these two ideas of loving your body and accepting your body, but then also being healthy and leaning into that. And the challenge is sometimes it's can be really tough to make healthy decisions. And so we tend to get leverage on ourselves by, you used the term earlier, disgusted, like being disgusted by your results, disgusted by the decisions you've made and the results that you're looking at now. That kind of runs counter to that. Like, can you speak to that? Because I see a tension there. Oh, totally. I mean, the world is full of dichotomies like this. So as an example, my kids came home yesterday with the report cards. I could care less about their grades. I think school is a, a ridiculous sham. So I told my one son who had B's, I was like, that's, it's all good. He's like, no, bees are bad. I'm like, no, they're not. And I just kind of started talking to him about my whole philosophy around that. I said, listen, buddy, for contrast, and I'll just be very open. Like we had our worst month in business in January in six years. And I told him it got me so pissed off that that anger propelled me to do things that I probably wouldn't have otherwise in terms of a positive energy to fix the situation, to never have to deal with that again. So I think as it pertains to the whole kind of like love your body and stuff, you have to love yourself because if you don't love yourself, you're not going to make positive choices. But at the same time, humans are motivated by pain. And to be honest with you, I've been in the health and fitness space for 20 years. And listen, like if you're a hundred pounds overweight or whatever it is, you got some issues. If that triggers anyone, I'm sorry, but it's the reality. You have to do something about that. And we can't accept that as normal. Being a hundred pounds overweight is not normal. It's not the status quo for the human body. And I think the problem is that we're trying to be so politically correct nowadays with everything. Like there's no like right or wrong. There's no good or bad. And like in, in some cases there isn't, but I think when it comes to our, it's not rocket science. If you're hundred pounds overweight, you're a ticking time bomb. So I, I think it's a tough thing to, to balance, right? Like you have to love yourself enough to want to change. And you also have to be pissed off enough about your situation where there's enough pain to want to change. So it, it's tough. Like I get it. And I wish I would have read more on this before because I feel like I'm, I'm talking a little outside of my depth, but I'm just thinking about like, I saw what happened with Jillian Michaels when she made a comment about Lizzo and like, I get the idea of body positivity, but I'm concerned that she's going to end up with diabetes. And she came under like intense fire for that. You know, if someone's like, well, yeah, I'm hundred pounds overweight, but I accept my body as it is. And it's beautiful as it is. Do you think that stems from, I've had to learn to accept it because I don't feel like I have the power to change it? Totally. Yeah. Because the alternative is I try again and I fail. Right. And that's just devastating for most of us to want to consider. And like, I also see this show up in business. And, and here's how I see this show up. And this is maybe a little bit more so in, in the health side of things. I don't know. Um, so, a lot of health professionals, they'll say it's not all about the money. I'm like, well, obviously, it's not all about the money, but money is it's a measure of your impact in the world. Right. If you can't make any money, you're not helping anyone. Let's just yeah. be honest about it. Yeah. And you can't continue to do the work that you're doing without exactly. it. Exactly. Like, so like, it's not about money shaming. It's about being realistic that your business sucks. And that's okay to realize because now when you realize that and you have the desire to recognize or you have the desire to make things better, you can't make things better if you think it's okay to make 500 bucks a month and you're a, a servant to the world. Like that's not okay. Like poverty helps no one. Making money helps no one. And there was someone who I was, I was in a comment thread in one of our Facebook groups about this. And she said, well, you know, like, I just don't want to compromise the quality of care I give my clients. By charging them? Is that what she means? By like charging them money? If you make more money, the quality of care for your clients goes down. Like, how does that make sense? The adverse is true. Exactly. Right. The more money you make, it's not because it's not the more money you make is a reflection of loving the hell out of your clients and taking care of them. 
And the more money you make, the more you're able to pour into your clients and it becomes this amazing circle. And then you're not servicing 30 clients, you're serving less and you're delivering a higher quality to those people because you're not out there running around chasing. So it's, I mean, not exactly the same, but it's a synonymous conversation where a lot of business owners, they're like, it's okay, money, it's not about the money. And they use that as a cop-out because business is hard and they haven't, they're not where they want to be. And that's okay, right? But it's just interesting. I'm always fascinated by like the stories we tell ourselves and what we allow ourselves to settle for compared to what we could be in life. So when you look at the people that have done this successfully, so when the people that have changed their lives, changed that, whether it's eating habits, exercise, like they've said, all right, I'm all in. I'm going to do the thing. I've read your book. I'm going to do these things that you said. What's the through line in these people? Is it they first changed their identity? Is it they worked on established habits that were scheduled out? Like what's the through line in the people that have been successful in this? Burning desire. That's what it comes down to. Goes back to the leverage thing. Like you need to get leverage on yourself. Anything in life is how badly do you want it? That's it. That's it, right? Like I've worked with a lot of people over the years, both in business and health. And that's what it comes down to. And the reason why a lot of people start and then fall off is because the desire is like, oh my God, I got to lose the weight. And then what happens is they lose a bit. They feel a little bit better. The desire, the burning pain goes down. And at the same time, they start to kick into this is hard. I'd rather go back to the way things were before. And then it just status quo. That's where we were before. So I think burning desire is everything. I remember when I was 17, I was in Brazil playing soccer with Sao Paulo. And I remember on the way to one of the training grounds, I'm in the bus with, you know, all these guys who are like under 17, under 19, they're on the verge of playing professionally. And I asked them, I'm like, I don't even remember what the conversation, how it started, but they said, for us, it's football, like soccer or the favelas. That's it. Like it's professional soccer or I live in the slums. And I thought there's a reason why they put everything they can into that here it's like, well, if it doesn't work out, I'll just get a job or I'll go work with my parents or I'll go back to school or I'll get collected from the government or whatever it is. There's too many plan Bs. And, and I think there's a lot to learn from people who are in dire situations, whether it's immigrants coming over and starting businesses. Entitlement and complacency, it's the biggest virus, to be honest, in the world. People have settled for okay. And we see this in businesses that put out mediocre at best customer service. I don't know about you, April, but how many airline experiences, hotel experiences, restaurant <laughs> experiences can you remember that were just, oh my God, like unbelievable. For me, I don't know, maybe a few. And that's just the way the world's become. It's, it's so easy to be great because everyone is average because they're not willing to do the extra little bit that no one's willing to do. And again, that comes down to burning desire. So I think that's the through line with all of this. Interesting. I love this. So it's interesting because I often say that humans were motivated by pain and pleasure. Everyone's motivated slightly different. You need to know which one it is. Most, my experience, at least with my clients has been most are, they're more motivated by the pain. And so to get them to go after something that's going to be hard. So working in the health space, but to get them to go after something that's difficult, we have to make a big juicy why. And we've also got to paint a very clear picture of the pain if you don't do it. And sometimes it's fabricated. Sometimes there isn't an actual pain. And so we have to like, all right, if you don't do these things, you're not going to be able to be around when your kids are there or like whatever we need to do to get leverage on. And there's lots of ways that we do this, but I love the story of the Brazilian soccer players because it's huge leverage. A lot of people say that's why I think it was the Dominican Republic. There was a lot of baseball players out of there. It was a very similar thing. It was, well, there's a lot of leverage it's do this or your alternative is pretty grim. So I hear that at least in the US, in Canada, maybe there's a lot less leverage unless you happen to be an immigrant. There's a lot less leverage. So we're talking about essentially creating leverage on yourself because it doesn't exist naturally. I'm telling you, this is one of the biggest challenges I've had to face in my life because life's been good. Life's been okay. And I see this actually a lot of friends of mine who are very successful entrepreneurs go through, and this, I think it happens in stages. You, you hustle and grind your way to some level and then things are good. You're like, all right, I got money in the bank. Business is good, whatever. And you have to find ways to get to the next level. Cause you won't be happy there. Just to be clear, you can get the money, you can get the house. People think that makes them happy. It doesn't. I work with people that have that profile all the time that they're like, I got everything I wanted. And then they get depressed because 
The fulfillment is found in the progress. And if we're no longer progressing, we kind of get this, get stagnant and then we get sad. And I think you have to really be honest about like what drives you, like what's going to take you from this level to like a hundred times this level, if that's something of importance to you. I think that's different for everyone. And you know, I think part of my realization has been about, I'm very motivated by helping my team achieve their dreams. And it's, but I'll be honest, that's not my biggest driver. And I, and I was thinking about that. I was like, okay, so like, you know, going to why, like, you know, helping a billion people on the planet, improve their health, you know, all this stuff. That's our vision. That's why we're here, but it's not enough for me. And I like to put myself in situations that are like pressure cookers that really make me uncomfortable because I love the challenge. I might lose sleep at night sometimes my stomach might turn initially, but that is when I perform my best. As an example, we're looking at building a house in our dream location on the coast of Mexico. And it's a project that like just came out of the blue and it's going to put us in a very interesting situation in terms of pressure. I'm excited for that because all of a sudden now there's another level of energy. But here's the cool thing is it's not about the house. It's about the energy that I have to put into everything I'm doing. And as a byproduct, everything else, our clients, our team, everything else benefits because this is the thing that's driving me at the moment. And again, like I'm all about the process and the journey. I'm, I could care less. I've got some cool cars and a nice house. I could care less about that stuff because I love my work. I need things that challenge me and inspire me. And if I can enjoy those things along the way, awesome. In the pursuit of all that stuff, the other things that are important in terms of like the clients we impact, you know, helping our team grow, all of that stuff just gets exponentially better now because I've got more mojo behind all that. For sure. It challenges you. I mean, that's how we get taller, right? We get in over our head and then we grow. We don't get better at tennis by playing opponents that aren't as good as us. Like we can have an amazing tennis game, but it's like, if we want to grow, we have to be challenged. And that's every level, regardless of the level you're at, like you have to have the next opponent to go after. You have to have the next challenge and it helps us show up different for our business. I mean, I've seen that a lot where there's a personal challenge that they're facing and they're leveling up for that. And it cascades into how they run their business and how they show up for their team. Exactly. Because, you know, you get out of bed earlier, you do the work, you know, you're doing a little bit more than you would have otherwise because things were okay, but now they have to be great. It's just tremendous. And I don't know if everyone obviously is wired that way. I think like entrepreneurs are different for sure. Yeah. Like there's, I don't know if it's a dopamine thing or whatever it is, but I think we are goal seeking organisms. We need something meaningful to work towards. That's why I'm never going to retire. If I'm on the beach, I'm reading for like half an hour and then I'm doing stuff for, I don't know. But we need to find something that gives us meaning, that drives us, and that does good in the world. And I think the more we can associate with that, everything else, we become happier in the process. And I really want to emphasize that you never get there. Like you don't graduate from this kind of work. And so a lot of times if people are kind of working for that next level of success, sometimes they think there's this mythical land that they reach and they're like, oh, I'm here. <laughs> you don't get there. I've seen people get there. It doesn't feel the way they think that it's going to feel. It's like, I've gotten everything and it doesn't feel the way I thought it was. So in pointing that out, I'm saying this really is a marathon, not a sprint. So if you were someone that's working for that, once I get to this revenue goal, once I get to this employee headcount, once I get to this level, then I'll start prioritizing my health. I'll start prioritizing the other things. You don't get there. So you've got to prioritize those things today because wherever you get, there's the next horizon you'll start chasing. It's just how we're wired. So you've got to prioritize these things now. I want to ask uh, a follow-up question, kind of our big closing question. But before I do that, where is the best place for someone to go to, to learn more about both the business models that you run, but also the books, the, the talks, where's the best place for someone to connect with you? I'm probably most active on Instagram. So if you search at healthpreneur, that's my account. I have a lot of stuff on YouTube. So I have a health channel that I don't do anything on anymore, but if you search healthpreneur, you'll see a lot of like business mindset stuff like that. That's where I post all my stuff there. Probably the two best places to start. Okay. And we'll put the links in the show notes as well. So it'll be easy to just click through on the podcast. So closing question, if you could tell the world one thing, what would it be? Exactly what Winston Churchill told, uh, I can't remember, I don't know if it was Oxford or whatever school was in World War II. He said, never give up, never give in. That's it. To succeed in anything in life, longevity is the secret weapon. 
And the funny thing is humans, actually it's two things, our ability to adapt to our environment. And number two is endurance. Hundreds or thousands of years ago, when it was really like the hunter-gatherer days, you know, back in, for instance, Africa, a cheetah can run faster than a human, but a human can outrun a cheetah because we can sweat and they can't. And if we think of like our innate ability to just endure, that's pretty cool because if you just keep going, you will win and you win by just keep going. So like the only reason that I'm, I've done anything in my business is just because I just kept going. That's it. You play the game long enough, you get better at it. If you quit, you don't. And that's probably the best advice I can give. And, and it's the same for anything. It's the same for you want to learn a skill or, you know, improve your health or, and understand that it's not linear. It's like, it's full of ups and downs, but like the stock market, generally compared to 50 years ago, we're way higher than we were. And it's the same thing with your business. It's the same thing with your life. So I think just never give up. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us on Pivot Me. Thank you for your expertise and your insight. Love the conversation. And again, we'll have all the links in the show notes so we can connect. Awesome. Thanks so much, April. Thanks. Well, there you have it. We discussed prioritizing health, fitness, a good morning routine, but we also talked about what makes people successful and what challenges that success. So let's recap on some of that. So when I asked Yuri, what's the through line for those he'd seen most successful? He said one thing, burning desire, that it all came down to the question of how badly do you want it? He went on to share that for many of the Brazilian soccer players he knew, it was be a great soccer player or live in the slums. They had tremendous leverage to get amazing at soccer. I would argue that's football, but to get really good at that. They had the burning desire he mentioned. Yuri talked about how it has to be painful for us to take action. Without the pain, if we're sitting in comfort, there will be no action because the action, it's hard. There's sacrifice. There's challenge. We're not going to take it if it's not painful where we're at now. When we're comfortable, we don't make those big sweeping improvements. I also liked how he encouraged us to get curious with how we feel, with our energy. Even as simple as rating your energy every day from a scale from one to 10, and then get curious about the actions that led up to how you're feeling now. Really, he's talking about lead and lag measurements, right? Like we do for our business. He's saying, essentially, look at it in relationship to your health and your body. Like I eat this, I feel crappy the next day. I drink this, I feel crappy in the morning. So getting curious about our energy, getting curious about how we feel, and then we tend to make little tweaks on our fitness and our health based off of, yeah, my energy was low today. And this is ultimately how we optimize the machine, us, the running our body, treating our health like this critical component that can be optimized, just like a business. Wrapping up today, I'm going to take this idea of optimizing this machine and rating my energy each day, and I'm going to add in that simple decision filter he made. I'm going to ask myself, is this thing I'm about to do going to strengthen me or weaken me? And then take action on it. Thank you for joining us today. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Shoot us a message at info at pivot-me.com. Make it a great day. Thank you so much for dialing in today. And don't forget, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And if you love what you hear, give us a five-star review. It means the world to us. Hit me up on Instagram at the April Garcia or check us out online at pivot-me.com. This is all made possible with the support of you listeners, the numerous contributors, and our clients. Our music and production is by the amazing Rockwood Audio. Join me next time for more tips on how to hack success. And until then, make it a great day. Thanks, guys. You guys are amazing.